So several weeks ago, um, we talked about sort of the origins of the Gospels, and we talked about this uh, source that scholars have sort of speculated on that's called Q. So the, the generally accepted understanding of how the Gospels came into being is called a two-source theory. There's always people that will dispute this, but this is sort of the generally accepted um, method. Mark was written first. Um, Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark as they were writing it. They had a second source. It is called Q. It's called Q because it's from the German word quell, which means source. And I'm lifting this up to you today just simply because the text that we're reading today is a great example of what we would call Q. So can we pull up that slide? So it's hard to uh, read, at least for me, from here. <clears throat> so, but in the Gospel of Luke that we're going to read today, there's these three disciples that show up, and two say, I want to follow you, one Jesus asked to follow. So the story occurs also in Matthew. They actually occur in different places in the Gospel. And um, Luke adds a third of would-be disciple here. So if you read the text from Matthew um, and then you read the text from Luke, the words that are said are almost identical. So that's where this idea of the Q comes from, this other document that they had sayings of Jesus that was there. And then Luke um, adds this third would-be disciple, would-be follower of Jesus. So that's something that is uniquely in Luke. It doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. And these two, the first two uh, of these would-be disciples, um, they occur in only Matthew and in Luke. The stories don't show up in Mark or John. So this, is, I told you that we'd talk more about it, and this particular text is just a really great example of what the scholars are talking about when they are talking about this other source that Matthew and Luke both had access to. So as Forrest Gump said, that's all I'm going to say about that. So there is this saying for those of us that have been around in Texas for a long time. I love this saying. It's called big hat, no cattle. Y'all know what that means? It, means? it means he's acting like a cowboy, but he doesn't have any cows, right? So there, there's a, there, there we go. <laughs> Somebody said, that's me. <clears throat> so there's another word for that that's a, a more modern word, and it's called a poser. Somebody that is pretending to be something that they're really not. And um, I'm going to read to you from a book by a guy named John Eldridge. Um, this is kind of a, a men's ministry type book. Um, but he is talking about posers in this particular verse or this particular chapter. Um, <clears throat> so he's talked about posers and he says, how about sports? A few years ago, I volunteered to coach my son's baseball team. There was a mandatory meeting that all coaches needed to attend before the season to pick up equipment <clears throat> and learn uh, and have a briefing. Um, our recreation department brought a retired professional pitcher, a local boy, to give us all a pep talk. The posing that was going on was incredible. 
Here's a bunch of balding dads with beer bellies, sort of swaggering around, talking about their old baseball days, throwing out comments like pro about pro players like they knew them personally, and spitting. I kid you not, they were spitting. <laughs> their attitude, <clears throat> that's a tame word, was so thick I needed waiters. It was the biggest bunch of posers I've ever met outside of the church. He goes on to say that same sort of thing goes on on Sunday mornings. It's just a different set of rules. Dave runs into Bob in the church lobby. Both are wearing their happy faces, though neither is really happy at all. Hey, Bob, how are you? Bob is actually furious at his wife, ready to leave her, but he says, great, Dave, I'm just great. The Lord is good. Dave, on the other hand, hasn't believed in the goodness of God for years, ever since his daughter was killed. Yep, God is good all the time. I'm just so glad that we are here praising the Lord. Me too. Well, I'll be praying for you. I would love to see a tally of the number of prayers actually prayed against the numbers of prayers promised. I bet it's about one in a thousand. And I'll be praying for you too, he said. Well, gotta go. Take care. Take care is our way of saying, I'm done with this conversation and I want to get out of here. <laughs> but I don't want to appear rude, so I'll say something that sounds meaningful and caring. But in truth, Dave doesn't give a rip about Bob. We have posers in our church. I don't know who they are, but that sort of thing is happening all over the place. People pretending to care, pretending to be something that they're not. So, big hat, no cap. So, we're going to look at some disciples, or would-be disciples, from the Gospel of Luke. It's the ninth chapter, verses 57 through 62. It's three stories about would-be followers of Jesus. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. That's kind of a confusing passage. I mean, we talk about Jesus being kind, and these responses kind of seem to be a little bit harsh. Let the dead bury the dead. No, you can't go say goodbye to your folks. Get on with it. Kind of confusing. And all three of these little stories presupposes that Jesus really can see their true heart, their true motivation, what, what's really going on behind what may or may not be 
<coughs> excuses. So let's take a look at the first story. <coughs> Verse 57 through 58. This one volunteers and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now look, Jesus understands he is on his way to Jerusalem. He knows what is awaiting him. And what he's saying to this man that says, I will follow you wherever you go, is whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not all easy. It's not all sunshine and roses. Following me can be difficult. It can be hard. There is a cost to following Jesus. <clears throat> so what do you think our church would look like if somebody came up to join our church and we said, all right, we're glad to have you, but it's really going to be a dangerous thing for you to be a member of this church. How many of you would still be here? I mean, what, what if we said <clears throat> being a follower of Jesus might cost you your life? Would you be here in worship today? I mean, our brothers and sisters in China face that every day. I mean, what would our churches look like if there was a real cost to being a follower of Jesus? There's a cost to it. And I mean, I don't know about any of you, but, but do you have this thought that, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, so my life should be really good because Jesus loves me? I shouldn't have any problems at all? No, nobody? Nobody says that to themselves? No, I do. I mean, when the hard times come, I mean, I, I have to talk myself down. I have to talk to myself. Now, come on, Tyson, you know that's not good theology. I think I've shared this story before, but shortly after I graduated seminary, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I was mad. <coughs> I told God, really? I mean, I do all of this for you, and this is how you treat me. And I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to know better than that, right? But that was my gut-level reaction. I thought, because I've done all of this for Jesus, he should be taking care of me. But the truth of it is, there is nothing guaranteed because you are a follower of Jesus other than your salvation. Hard times, rough times, they can come for anybody, anytime. The bonus to being a follower of Jesus is A, you know the end story already, and B, Jesus is with you. You are never alone. No matter how rough it seems, no matter how bad it seems to get. There's a cost to being a follower of Jesus. In America, we don't see it so much, but I'll, I'll give you a kind of an everyday example. So I was a pastor at First Lufkin United Methodist Church. I was the associate there. And we were literally across the street from the middle school. And we always had a big Ash Wednesday morning service, started like at 7 o'clock, and we brought in like Chick-fil-A breakfast, and the youth would flood into this service, in part because it was Chick-fil-A breakfast. But 
um, they would come to this Ash Wednesday service, and we would impose ashes on them, and they'd have ashes on their forehead, and they would walk across the street to the middle school with ashes on their forehead. The one time of year that you are identified as a Christian by something people can look at. And those people, those children, were made fun of. They were derided. It was, it's the, the Baptist Bible Belt up there. A lot of them don't understand Lent or Ash Wednesday. And they'd be walking down the hall and they'd go, Dude, you, you got something on your face. We actually had one, one that was sent to the principal because the teacher thought it was a gang sign, which is a whole other sermon. Fortunately, the principal was Methodist, and she walked the little kid back and said, hey, teacher, it's Ash Wednesday. Those are ashes from the church. But I remember every year I was there, I would send those kids off across the street knowing that there was a small price to be paid for being a follower of Jesus. So our second story, here Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, I'll go, but let me first go bury my dead father. And Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury themselves. That's, that's not important. And again, this is a little, I don't know, a little troubling for me to hear Jesus say, uh-uh, no, don't bother yourself with that. The kingdom of God is more important. And that's exactly what the story tells us, is that the kingdom of God is the most important thing. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, doing the work of Jesus should be your number one thing. Everything else should be second. And I know that feels weird. It does for even for me, because you want to say, no, my family is first. But here's the truth of it. Here's what I've learned over the years, that when my relationship with God is really good, I'm a way better dad. I'm a way better husband. If I put God first and my family second, my family actually is better off. I know it feels weird, but it's true. I mean, I, I can speak from experience, it's true. And, and Jesus in this text is saying something else as well. He's saying that, that is death. I am life. In me you will find life, not death. And so when we see that response, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is saying the gospel, the good news, comes first. And it leads to life. To be a follower of Jesus will be difficult at times. Even here in America, I think it's becoming more difficult 
to be a follower of Jesus. So let's take a look at this third story. Somebody else said, and this is something that's unique to Luke, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Huh? What? That's kind of random. Where did that come from? I mean, I don't know if, if any of you have ever plowed anything, but growing up we had a farm and I would occasionally plow in a tractor, not with a horse. But one of the things I learned, if I wanted to play a, plow a straight row, I had to look straight ahead. If you look backwards, you, you can't make a straight line. You can't plow, plow a straight row. It's almost physically impossible. So, so what Jesus is telling us here is we have to look forward. That, that looking backwards doesn't do anyone any good. I mean, I think this is a great word for us as a church. I mean, in, in churches all over the country, I hear people saying, oh, I remember when. I remember when the sanctuary was full. Or I remember when we had this really awesome preacher. And now we're stuck with this guy. That's a, Jesus has a word for us. That's the past. If you're my follower, you need to look forward. You need to move forward. You need to be about advancing the kingdom of God. And this is also true for our lives. I mean, once you're a follower of Jesus, your past is irrelevant. Okay, it shapes us. It helps make us who we are. But, but the sins that you have committed in your past are forgiven. Be done with them and move forward. A forgiven person, a forgiven child of God. Jesus, in this third story, is telling us don't bother worrying about the past. Just worry about what's ahead. Being a disciple, it'll be costly. It's important that you should be about the work of God now. That's what Jesus tells us in this story, is the work of God is more important than burying your parent. It's urgent. And we as followers need to be about it. 
So this morning, I want you to think about what being a follower of Jesus has cost you. I'm not talking about just your tithes that you give to the church. That doesn't count. What has being a follower of Jesus the Christ cost you in your life? Maybe you had to reprioritize some things. Maybe you had to give up some habits that you kind of liked but really weren't in keeping with the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. But I will propose to you that if you being a follower of Jesus has cost you nothing, then you need to reevaluate your commitment. The truth of it is that being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, will cost you sometimes dearly. And so my question for you today, in your walk with Jesus, are you big hat, no cattle? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we know that being a follower can be costly to us. But we know also, Father, that you paid the ultimate price, your son Jesus dying, that we might live. For that we are grateful and we sing your praise. As we prepare to gather here at the Lord's table, Father, write on our hearts the significance the price that was paid, that we might be free, that we might be forgiven, that we might receive everlasting life. Mark those on our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.